0: So we're reading from Genesis 4.4. As soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away with their donkeys. They had gone only a short distance from the city. Now Joseph said to his steward, Up, follow after the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is it not from this that my Lord drinks, and by this that he practices divination? You have done evil in doing this. When he overtook them, he spoke to them these words. They said to him, Why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. Behold. The money that we found in the mouths of our sacks we brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? Whichever of your servants is found with it shall die. And we also and we also will be my Lord's servants. He said, Let it be as you say, he is found, he who is found with it shall be my servant, and the rest of you shall be innocent. Then each man quickly lowered his sack to the ground, and each man opened his sack. And he searched, beginning with the eldest and ending with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes, and every man loaded his donkey, and they returned to the city. When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there. They fell before him to the ground. Joseph said to them, What deed is this that you have done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? And Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? For how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also in whose hand the cup has been found. Then he said, Far be it from me that I shall do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. Then Judah went up to him and said, My Lord, please let your servants speak a word in my Lord's ears, let not your anger burn against your servant, for you are like Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servants, saying, have you, have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man and a young brother, a child of his old age. His brother is dead, and he's left alone uh, of his mother's children, and his father loves him. Then he said to your servants, Bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes on you. We said to my Lord, The boy cannot leave his father for if he should leave his father, his father would die. Then he said to your servants, Unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face again. When we went back to your servant, my father, we told you the words of my Lord. And when our father said, Go again, buy us a little food, he said, We cannot go down. If our youngest brother goes with us, then we will go down. For we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. One left me, and I said, Surely he has been torn to pieces, and I have never seen him since. If you take this one also from me, and harm happens to him, you will bring down my grey hairs and evil to show. Now therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then as his life is bound up in the boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die, and your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to shoulder. For your servant became a pledge of safety, for the boy to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father for my life. Now therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord, and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that... Find my father. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers.
1: One of the modern classic movies. I hope you've seen it, is Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. Mm-hmm. Fantastic movie. Eleven Oscars and Enormous Box Office Success. It completes the tale, the epic tale of the battle between good and evil in Middle Earth. It's a movie of epic proportions in many ways. It goes for three and a half hours. <laughs> It's an amazing movie, breathtaking battle scenes, decisive victories and then after all the conflict is resolved and we're all exhausted, so begins the ending of the movie which goes on and on and what's all that stuff that's happening at the end? Uh, Why is it that Frodo doesn't stay in the Shire? Why is it that he captures the boat along with Elrond and Bilbo his uncle and the others and goes off with the other Elrond does he stay in the Shire? And the movie goes on and on. And the question, why is all this ending here? We've been through it all and we've seen it all resolved and why all this? You could ask the same question about Genesis. You could say the writer of Genesis, he's recounting human history, or actually... God is showing us human history at this point, but why does he spend all these chapters recounting what happened to Joseph? And i really sorry that we don't get a chance to read all those chapters. We just sort of dip in and get a little snippet for your hand. But why all these chapters? Because we've been clearly seen from the beginning, and if you've been with us from the beginning, at the beginning of looking at Genesis, then you'll know that Genesis shows God's plan to reverse sin, to renew humanity through the offspring of one man, Abraham. If you've been with us, you know that's what Genesis is all about. Why is this final quarter of the book, sort of chapters uh, chapter 37 to 50, devoted to Joseph, the great grandson? I mean, he gets twice as much space as what Abraham gets in the story. I mean, the creation of the universe is done in one chapter. <laughs> Joseph gets born in up well, spoiler, spoiler alert. When God promises and shows his promise, it doesn't even come through Joseph. We saw it last week. It comes through Judah's line. Not even Joseph. Yet yeah, Joseph's story is sensational. It's one of the amazing stories of the Bible. If you've never sat down and read through it, it's just a really good story to see what God does in the life of this man. who you immerse yourself in this family that's all messed up and this guy that goes through the worst of things, he's kidnapped and, and taken away. It's a great story. Sit down and read it. It only takes a couple of hours, not even now. I just got us to read that one bit, and if you've not read it before, you to know what's happening in this chapter, the bit that we've read out plainly. It's one of the great turning points in the narrative where, just before Joseph is about to reveal his true identity to his brothers, that the brother that they gave up for dead and sold when he was a youngster of 17 is now the ruler over Egypt where they've come grumbling for food because there's famine throughout the world. And their brother that they don't recognize is the man who's in charge of their well being, indeed, the well being of the nations, and he was about to reveal his true identity to them. It's a terrific account of God's sovereignty at work in one man's life. But how is all of this, as a great story as it is, how is it a fitting end to a book that's called The Beginning? Genesis I means the beginning. How is it a fitting end to that? Well, let's get into it and have a look at some of it. On point two, Joseph's fortune. Uh, we don't get a chance to look at everything that happens to Joseph. But basically, the storyline is whatever happens, God causes Joseph to succeed. Joseph is fortunate. He had a fortune. He goes from nothing and gets everything. Uh, just to recap very quickly at 17, remember, he had dreams. His dreams of being more successful than his brothers literal dreams that he's kidnapped and sold by his brothers in captivity in Egypt, foreign land parking home. Somehow, as you read through, or as you read through, you realise that somehow everyone who meets him recognises that God is with him. And he gets promoted very quickly. He succeeds in everything he did. He's hired by an Egyptian military leader called Potiphar, and Joseph rises quickly to be the manager of his household. Second in command only to Potiphar himself. Potiphar's wife tries again and again to get Joseph into bed. Uh, apparently, he's very well the text says he's a very attractive man, uh, but he refuses to. And she, being scorned again and again, tries and successfully brings false charges against Joseph of raping. And he ends up in jail. In jail, Joseph is successful. <laughs> he's shown favour. God is with them, we're told. He becomes a leader within the jail. The jailer just gives him all these things to do, and he trusts him so much. And he's trusted uh, by the prison warden. And so in Genesis 39, verse 23, it says the prisoner, the keeper of the prison, paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge, because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. See, Joseph didn't have to try. No, he probably did try. He just succeeded because the Lord was with him. If Joseph had fallen flat on his face in the dirt, he probably would have got up with a gold nugget sticking in his forehead. It's just that sort of thing. He just fell into success because God was with him. It's not far off what happened, actually. He ended up in jail he ended up in the jail of Pharaoh the king, his own personal jail. Which meant when Pharaoh was later on troubled, troubled by a dream, not that no one could interpret, someone remembered that there was this guy, like Joseph, in prison who could, inter- who could interpret dreams. And so they went and fished him out of the dungeon, deep dark, down the dungeon, wherever he was, off the way. And Joseph not only interprets Pharaoh's dream that he had, but he then sees the fortunes of Egypt to look after. Because Pharaoh's dream was all about the future or the immediate burning growth and success of Egypt, and then the impending worldwide famine that would follow. Joseph revealed to Pharaoh what God was revealing to him. That is, there are good times ahead followed by bad times, and you need to get yourself ready. And Pharaoh needs someone to oversee the survival of the nation. Who did he choose? Well, Joseph, as he lands the top job in the land and becomes the second in command in the most powerful country in the world at the time. The story of Joseph shows God's steadfast love such that whether in prison or in power, he succeeded. And that's what we've been shown throughout all these chapters. That is, God's sovereign, God's sovereign hand to bring about his purposes. You're not necessarily meant to think, oh, what's Joseph done? He's been so successful. The whole point is, has not done anything? He's been dealt the worst hand of injustices all along the way but God has turned that so he's good to bring about his purposes. And his good fortune saw the survival of thousands, tens of thousands of lives that we'll get to in a moment. Point two, we seek God's sovereignty. We are shown that God is sovereign. And more than that, about God's sovereignty, through Joseph, how God's sovereignty works in the affairs of humans is what we're shown. See, Joseph suffered terrible injustices at the hands of his wife, who accused him of rape, uh, the Ishmaelite slave traders, uh, but worst of all, his own brothers who planned to kill him and then actually sell him to Egypt just to get some money. And his brothers also cover up from their father that Joseph was sold into slavery and they make up the story that he was killed by an animal. So his father thinks he's been dead all these years Joseph has suffered all these injustices. All those injustices at the hands of evil people under God have a purpose. I'll let Joseph explain. Because at the end of the story, after Joseph is reconciled with his brothers, Jacob is brought to Egypt uh, and meets Joseph and dies an old happy man. Joseph makes sense of everything that has happened. You can see it. Here in chapter forty-nine. No, you no, don't. you don't see it in chapter forty-nine. You see it in chapter two, which isn't there. I'll read it for you. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, "It may be that Joseph will hate us and pass back for all the evil that we did to him." So they sent a message to Joseph saying, "Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph." Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin, because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came to him and fell down before him and said, "Behold, we are your servants." But Joseph said, "Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good." to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So, fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Here how Joseph interprets everything that's happened looking back with the benefit of hindsight, with the benefit of seeing God's word. He explained God's sovereign hand in everything. Evil men made evil plans. His brothers, what they did, was evil. And they are held accountable to God. They are responsible to God. But God, nonetheless, will use their evil plans to bring about his good purposes, says Joseph. The saviour of many lives. And we see that sovereign work of God throughout the rest of the Bible, throughout the rest of history, and ultimately in the death of Jesus. An innocent man put to death by the hands and the plans of evil men. By God's plan for Jesus is the saving of many lives, as Jesus' death pays for the sins of the world. Thus, Joseph shows us how God works in the world and prepares us to understand how he's going to work in the death of Jesus and how God is at work in the world, and when evil men and women make their plans as evil as they are God will use them for his good purposes so when you feel the injustices of this world, when you experience them when you see them, when you're a part of them put your trust in God you won't see it at the time you may never see it in your lifetime but God is working out his sovereign good purposes trust well, we might well leave it there and uh, head off to lunch, and uh, that'll do us to the be... except Except that, that's not quite how Genesis ends. <laughs> um, it sounds, I mean, it is a fantastic note to, to finish on understanding God's sovereignty, God's sovereign goodness in much the people, but that's not where Genesis ends. It doesn't make sense of the ending of Genesis. Because we actually end on a different note. Point three, Judah's hope. Judah's hope. Remember, if you've been with us, that the writer of Genesis keeps putting in those headings for us. These are the accounts of... This is the account of the generations of... The generations of... The generations of... This is under the heading of the generations of Jacob. All of these chapters are about... Jacob, and while Joseph gets the final word, which interprets everything that's happened so far in his life, he gets that final word. Jacob gets the last word in chapter in chapter 49 about the future. Jacob gets the last word: what's going to happen beyond Genesis, for his family. And so, chapter 49, Jacob gathers his sons together as they're all in Egypt and he's on his deathbed, and he prophesies about each one of them. Some are blessed, others are cursed. Now, let me read to you a little. He begins with Reuben, who's the eldest. Jacob says to Reuben, You are my firstborn, my might, and the firstfruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. Unstable as water, you shall not have preeminence because you went up onto your father's bed, then you just filed it. He went up onto my couch. That's that. They're all worth reading. Uh, they're, they're a great read. He works all his way through the 12 sons. Uh, it's not a good start for Ruby. Now, there's one that catches the eye. And it stands out, not just because this one is blessed more than the others, more than his brothers, but because what is spoken about him is a vision far beyond the horizon of any of the others, of his brothers. Far beyond anything else that's said in this chapter or anything that's said in the book of Genesis, arguably, certainly beyond the success, the amazing success of Joseph. Let's listen in to what he says to Judah. Judah, your brothers shall praise you, Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you've gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion. And as a lioness, who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he washed. He's washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine, and his teeth are lighter than milk. It's a great description, isn't it? Uh, the imagery sparks the imagination, and probably a few questions as well. Uh, but what's clear is very clear. He's going to rule. In his family. Joseph dreamed that he would rule over his brothers, and it's fulfilled. It's happened before their eyes in his lifetime that his brothers would bow down Judah has the promise that his brothers shall bow down to him and shall praise him into time never ending. He will have their praise and their favour and their delight, not for a brief time. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. For unending years, Judah will rule his brothers. And more than just his brothers and their descendants, to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. The promise pictures his rule going global. Worldwide rule. The promises to Abraham now include the plan that Judah shall rule the nation. May sound very familiar to some of you. That description that we're seeing from Jacob. The Lion of the tribe of Judah. Because if we fast forward to the very final book of the Bible, to Revelation, we see Jesus' disciple John shown heaven. And he looks into heaven and sees what must soon take place. And in the heavens he sees this. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. One of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and it seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty four elders fell down before the lamb Here is the vision that John sees as he looks into the future, actually he looks into the immediate, the immediate future to him, which is our present today. That is presently we see those who live under the rule of Jesus, who is the lion of the tribe of Judah that Jacob spoke of. And we see those who trust in him and praise his name reigning on earth, reigning on earth reigning on earth as the gospel message goes out and rules in people's lives and changes people's lives. This is a talk explaining Genesis rather than Revelation so you'll have to go and work on the details there for yourself. But I think Paul picks up this in Romans 15 and verse 18. At the end of Romans he says For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. Hear that promised the Jew echoing in there. To bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. So that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Jacob said of Judah, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. We are risen and ascended, Lord of Jesus. The obedience that comes through the gospel message of Jesus. The gospel message of Jesus that the old man lying on his deathbed in Egypt spoke about some 2,000 years before Jesus was even born. Joseph rule of the brothers. Judah is going to rule the nations. Genesis 3750 tells us of the importance of Joseph. That is Joseph is important in God's plans to adopt Judah. It's a bit like it's a bit like when the space shuttle I don't know if you've ever seen the Space Shuttle take, take, take off, I can't remember when its last flight was, uh, but when the Space Shuttle used to take off from Canaveral, it's always a sight to watch. Most of what you could see is... You watched it on TV. I okay, can't I saw it on TV. But most of what you could see was this bright flame blast as these two massive solid rocket boosters ascended into the sky and sky is just full of flames. And eventually, those two solid rocket boosters fade and then fall to the ground and fall away. And then the whole reason those solid rocket boosters exist can be seen as this little shuttle, this precious little shuttle that it's been thrusting into space becomes visible and it continues to fire on into space. And that's the story of Joseph and Judah. Joseph is this flaming bright light at the end of Genesis that carries the survival of the nation. Or Judah carries the hope of the world. The question is, have you caught sight of this huge horizon that Jacob sees? To see Jesus, the... Grand, 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 grand. Son, however many grands it is, son of Judah, this Jesus who reigns now. Have you grasped hold of that horizon? I know for many of you, your horizon may be very well limited at the moment to the next couple of weeks. Understandable. Some of you, no know doubt, probably are stressed out about exams you know, and the signs that happen. Uh, and then is understandable or maybe your even your horizon is sunk and you have plans that you're making and uh, looking forward to now. Well, let me say that as you struggle over the next couple of weeks and put your head into your, what needs to be done, a hinder to, be assured of our prayers for you. Uh, that is the start. Uh, we will be praying mm-hmm. for you speaking. But our prayer for you will be the type that you'd always that you might see the reign of Christ at work over you and over all the nations where the gospel is preached, extending to the end of the earth. that you, will through whatever is happening in life, grasp hold of that and hold on to that more than anything. That you, the people that you know, that in the old world, may come to obedience in him obedience of the line of the tribe of Judah. How about we ask God for that now? Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you have made your son the line of the tribe of Judah ruler over all the nations. Grant us the vision that Jacob had to see your plans for Judah's great son. Grant us and many the joyful obedience to his gospel into eternity.
2: Hey everyone, I'm Eleanor. I'm in my first year of uni um, in social science, and I'm going to pray today, which is just talking to God. So uh, let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for being by the group. Lord, we thank you for all those who serve, and Lord, we thank you for the consistent hard work of all the leaders and staff workers. We thank you for the service used on Genesis, and we pray that this knowledge will be retained and be used and applied within our lives to by you. Lord, we also want to thank you for Union fellowship. Moreover, thank you for NTE, the National Training Event. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to learn new skills and knowledge at this training event, beginning in December. Lord, through this event, help us to be encouraged and be ever so bold for you. Father, we also thank you so much for times of break. Thank you especially for the summer break. Lord, we pray for a will to be consistent in meeting with and encouraging other Christians. We pray for consistency in reading our Bible, and Lord, help us to always and in everything be glorifying you. Father, we also want to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ at James Book Union. Father, as tensions only rise regarding the homosexual debate, we pray that We, as your servants, are patient, wise, and well-spoken in defending our view, and ultimately defending the credibility of your work, which will undoubtedly be attacked. In particular, Father, we pray for those in the James Cook Guinea group as they prepare to meet with the LGBTIQA group on campus. We pray that it is a time of loving debate, and Lord, help us to be faithful followers, or help them to be faithful followers, and proclaim and defend Christ bear witness, and ultimately show your unfailing love. Thank you for loving us choosing and choosing us to be a part of your kingdom. And I pray this Lord in your son's name. Amen.